Do you see what I see? Do you hear what I hear? Do you know what I know? Not this knowledge, but do you know what I know? Isaiah the prophet says, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord our God is the everlasting God, the creator of heaven and earth. Lord, I ask that you will open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to the glory of God. Help us to wake up, to wake up to the glory of God around us in your kingdom here, in your kingdom to come. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the most astounding and intriguing aspects of the incarnation to me is the intimacy that is all around the Christmas story. If we can quiet ourselves from the hustle and the bustle and the busyness of Christmas and can sit down beside the tree or maybe just by a flickering candlelight in the evening, if you listen really closely, you can almost hear the angels singing. You see, at Christmas time, God invites all five of our senses into this sacred moment in history. You can almost hear the angels' song. You can almost see the star over, over the place where the child lay. You can, almost, you can almost smell the oxen and the donkeys and the sheep. You can almost smell the hay in the manger and, and, and the, maybe even a little bit of musty straw that's been used for bedding for the animals and even for the baby Jesus. You can almost feel the touch of the newborn baby's soft skin. In fact, if I could go so far as to say you can almost taste the milk as the creator of heaven and earth lay in his mother's arms suckling at Mary's breast. You see, there is no more intimate story than the story of God becoming one of us. It's as if God is saying to us, I want the great God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, saying to us from the cry of a whimpering baby, I want you to experience me. You see, in the Garden of Eden, we lost that desire to walk with God and we traded it in for a knowledge about God. When Adam and Eve partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all of a sudden it became an academic thing instead of a relationship thing. And in the simplicity and the intimacy of that Christmas morning, God was inviting all of our senses back into experiencing him. In fact, if you, if you read through the epistles, you'll find in the book of 1 John a beautiful scripture that talks about all of the senses or most of them in 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we, we have heard with our ears, which we have looked at and our hands have touched and handled this word of life. This we proclaim concerning Jesus, the word of life. The psalmist in chapter 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And in, in 2 Peter, he follows that same theme. He says, you have tasted of the great and glorious gift of, of Jesus Christ. God is inviting us at this Christmas time to experience him with all of our senses 
not just reading about it and learning about it, but with our heart experiencing the great I am. Now, if I could contrast the intimacy of the sacred moment of a manger and of Jesus' first coming, I would like to contrast that to the omnipotency of his second coming today. I want us not, also, not only to think about that intimate moment in history when God became man, but I also want us to recognize that one day his glory will appear and it will not be in a whimpering cry in a manger. It will be with a shout from heaven, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You see, in that day, in that day, only a handful got to see, got to touch, got to smell. But on that day, it says every eye will see <laughs> and every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. I want you to know today that we need to be waken up. Our eyes need to be opened just as the wise men to the glory of God around us, before us, in us, through us, and the kingdom of God to come. And so today, that is our intent is to have our eyes opened to his glory, to be wakened to his glory. The theme of, in the church calendar year of this week to come is called epiphany. And that means a sudden outburst of revelation when the light bulb comes on. And that's exactly what happened to the wise men in our text from Matthew chapter 12, or Matthew chapter 2, but it's also what I desire to happen to us, that we will wake up to the glory of God in his kingdom here among us and his kingdom to come. In Isaiah chapter 60, we read these words, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. We've been talking for weeks about the exile that we live in. Darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over all the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you. Folks, while we're talking about exile, let's not forget that the sun has, has, risen, uh, the, has risen upon us, that the glory of the Lord is among us. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. I love that word. Radiant means that we are reflecting the glory of God on our faces. Just as Moses, when he went up to the mountain of Sinai and to receive the law, he came down and they said they had to put a veil over his face because of the radiance of God's glory. So I have a question for you today. In the midst of exile, is your face radiant with the glory of God? Or are you walking around like everybody else? Man, life's rough. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Our faces can shine with the radiance of God's glory. And so it's my desire today that we have that epiphany, that sudden outburst of revelation where our eyes are open, our ears are open. We hear and we see and we wake up to the glory of God. And with the theme of waking up, I have here today three different styles of alarm clocks. I don't know if you've noticed that. One of, uh, one of these is uh, courtesy of the new little uh, antique shop on Franklin Street. I can't remember the name right now, but uh, Donna Rhoda was gracious to let us use this today. You remember these, these obnoxious alarm clocks? I'm going to see if I can make this work this morning. 
I don't even know how to work these things. Isn't that a lovely sound? Makes you want to throw something at it, doesn't it? Hate that sound, but it wakes you up. It wakes you up. I don't know how long it's going to go on. I wound up for quite a while, but the second, the second alarm clock is the one that I use every morning. Most of you probably use too. It's an advanced, a little bit advanced from that last one. It not only will wake you up, it'll tell you how to get there. It'll tell you what to do. It'll tell you how many steps you took to get there. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's amazing what it'll do, okay? That's, and then the third alarm clock, I have to take you back about 60 years, 50 years, something like that, to the Dubuque farmhouse. Um, had seven boys and two girls. You've all heard that story. I'm the youngest of nine. And, and um, there were two sounds that I remember growing up that are forever etched in my memory. One of them I heard every morning from the kitchen of the old farmhouse, and the second sound I truly listened for, okay? You see, every morning at about 5.30, there'd be this booming voice that came up through the floor register, breakfast! That's just the way it sounded, breakfast! All seven of us boys would roll over and mumble something about those lousy milk cows and pull the wool, over, wool covers over our ears and roll over and go by, get on with our dreams. And then about 15 minutes later was the second sound, and that was our alarm clock, and boy, was it effective. You see, we had an old wooden staircase. Step one, step two, we're good and solid. Step three had a really wicked creak to it. And I don't care how stealthy dad was with his glass of ice cold water, our ears were tuned in to step number three. <laughs> and one creak, and all seven of us boys were out of bed like seven jackrabbits on steroids, let me tell you. You only had to have that happen once, <laughs> and you learned your lesson. All I'm saying is that there's a big difference between hearing and listening. And nowhere is this better, uh, this example uh, better given to us than in the mystery of the incarnation. For hundreds of years, God's booming voice had spoken through the prophets of the coming Messiah with details of pinpoint accuracy. The virgin birth, the tribe of descent, even the town of record were all described by the prophets. And then heaven went silent for 15 minutes or for 400 years. There was not a sound, no prophets, no angels, no dreams, no visions. Finally, when the time had fully come, the booming voice gave way to the whimpering cry of a baby and the secret mystery of Emmanuel was heard by only a few. A mom, a stepdad, a few poor shepherds, some mystic stargazers from way out in the east, a handful of animals, a widow named Anna, and an old man named Simeon. These all were close enough to touch, to feel, to experience the incarnation. You see, while the religious scholars of the day, like we'll read in our story, were stroking their beards in bewilderment, Simeon was tuned in to the frequency of the Holy Spirit, and he held the Christ child in his arms. 
I've got news for you today. Just as I mentioned earlier, the mystery is still unfolding today. For every prophecy of Christ's incarnation, there are two that describe his return in power and glory. Will we be stroking our beards in bewilderment? Or will we be listening for the whispering wind of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And so today, the title of the message from Matthew chapter 12 is his glory will appear, but I would like to add two verbs to that, or a verb to that. Wake up to the glory of God. Wake up to the glory of God. I'd like you to read with me uh, in Matthew chapter 2 for our text today. And I hope that in this scripture we will find three lenses of discovery that were employed by the wise men as they sought to worship the Christ child. Three lenses of discovery in the wise men's search. Matthew chapter 2, we read these words. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And uh, let me stop here for just a minute as I've been studying about the the wise men. We we, uh, always think that there are three of them because there were three gifts. Uh, But most of the studying that I have done uh, says that there could have been several hundred uh, in this entourage. They were kings from a, a very high prominent uh, wise men from, from east, and it's very likely that they, they had soldiers with them, they had animals with them, they had all sorts of people with them. In fact, uh, if you think about it, if three men riding on camels rode into Jerusalem, it probably wouldn't have upset anyone. <laughs> but there must have been an entourage because it said Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with them. So this was a pretty big deal as these men came in search of the Messiah. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. May God add his blessing to the reading of his words today. What can we learn from the search of these wise men that will help us discover God's glory and also to prepare us for the glory, glorious return of, of Jesus Christ. Like I said, I think there's three lenses of discovery that were used, and the picture that I'd like to have you uh, think of is dirty glasses. 
You know what it's like when you have dirty glasses or a dirty windshield in your vehicle and the sun is glaring in on you? What do you see? Nothing. And as we've talked about several weeks now that we are living in a land of exile and sometimes the crud of this world <laughs> kind of clouds, it, it kind of sticks on these things and we don't have good eyes, good vision to see what God is up to in our day and age. And so I thought maybe this morning would be a good day for us just to get the old handkerchief out and <sighs> clean those lenses a little bit and see what God, he who has ears to hear, he who has eyes to see, let him see, let him hear what God would say and what he's doing in our day. The three lenses that I see in this text are, first of all, there's general revelation that is utilized by these wise men. These men were looking to the heavens to see a sign. Now, if you study the history of these, there's a great deal of mystery about the wise men. We don't know a whole lot, but they're very likely from the area of Babylon uh, or the area of Mesopotamia somewhere, and it's very possible that they were descendants of the wise men that were in Babylon during the time of Daniel. And so some of the uh, scriptures that Daniel had brought into exile in Babylon had been trickled down into this culture uh, of Persia, and they remembered the scriptures from Numbers that said there would be a star that arose and a scepter would rise out of Jesse and, and that there would be a king born to the Jews. And so they were looking to the heavens for this star that had been prophesied way back in the book of Numbers. And they were just, just guys that studied the heavens. That's what they did for a living. There was a general revelation about what they were doing. They were looking to the heavens to see a sign. And might I suggest to you today that in this day and age that we should maybe clean off our lenses a little bit and look to creation that is shouting the glory of God? You know, every morning we are awakened to a glorious sunrise. Every night we lay our head down on a pillow after a, a beautiful sunset, and, and you cannot tell me... <laughs> You cannot tell me that that is not screaming out to the whole world that we serve a mighty creator God. It says in the, in the book of uh, Psalms, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. This is universal across the entire planet. People everywhere see the sunrise, see the sunset. They see the glory of God. In fact, in the book of Romans, it says the glory of God is on display for everyone to see, and all of us are without excuse because of it. So Lord, help us to open our eyes. Clear off our lenses so that we can see the glory of God, so that we can look to the heavens and see, just like the wise men, a sign that God is up to something in this day, in this age. <laughs> Several years ago, I was on a Friday night, I was trying to prepare for a message on Sunday. And if you've ever been in that place, you start to panic by about Friday night if you don't have anything. <laughs> And this particular Friday night in June, it was about 10 years ago, I was sitting out on the deck and there was a, a, a thunderstorm rolling in. And I'm always intrigued by storms. I don't know why, but I just am. I'm one of those that when there's a tornado warning, I usually go out to see if I can find it. And, and uh, so I was sitting out on the deck and there was uh, from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, nonstop for a full hour, there was continuous cloud-to-cloud -cloud lightning. 
You didn't see a lot of lightning bolts, but you just saw this continual flashing. It was like a strobe, a heavenly strobe light going on for a full hour, and the rumble of thunder never stopped. It was this low, low pitch roar in the background the whole time. And everyone, it, every once in a while, it would crescendo a little bit. You would see a lightning bolt, and you would hear a clap. But most of the time, it was just a, a low, quiet rumble. And I was sitting there just imagining the glory of God, and all of a sudden, I started getting a sermon. <laughs> and, and, I, and I ran inside and started studying about lightning because I was just intrigued by, by this incredible display of God's power. And this is what I learned that night about lightning. Listen to this. This is some pretty cool stuff. An average lightning bolt, a lightning strike is six miles long. The temperature from the rapid air expansion can reach 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is four times the temperature of the surface of the sun. The discharge of energy from one lightning bolt is estimated to be 100 million to 1 billion volts. Now here's where it gets good. Around the world, there are uh, normally about 100 lightning strikes per second or 8,640,000 lightning strikes per day. Now, I didn't do the math, but at 100 million volts each, and we're afraid we might run out of energy? <laughs> Seriously? We, we think we're so smart, and we have not begun to tap into the constant energy that God created. You know what? Four words. Let there be light. It was spoken into existence by the powerful word of God. Read it in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. That's the faith chapter. Verse 2 says, By faith we understand that the worlds and the universes were formed at God's command. I know there are a lot of theories out there that would say otherwise, but this book tells me very loud and clear that it, this universe was spoken into existence by the powerful word of God. We need to clean off our lenses because it's been contaminated, folks, with the culture of our day. We need to open our eyes to the glory of God that is all around us. Now, if that wasn't enough, I sat there for a little bit longer in this display of God's power, and then and, and I was thinking about Job <laughs> after he had lectured God for a, several chapters and then God looked at him and said, okay, Job, brace yourself like a man. Now I've got a few questions for you. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? And question after question after question and my favorite one of all, God looks at Job and says, do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. You read it in Job, it's incredible. God is the one who creates. God is the one who sustains our universe. And while I was sitting there in this beautiful and powerful display, then I saw something else at about nine o'clock while this cloud-to-cloud -cloud lightning was starting to diminish, the little lightning bugs came out. And these incredible creatures of God that scientists to this day can't explain how they mix oxygen and Lucifer in the way they do, but it produces a light and they were going all around singing their praises to the glory of God with their little light. And I thought, wow, God's creation is awesome. And because of it, as we said in Romans, man is without excuse. Let's clean off our lenses, 
from the contamination and see the glory of God daily. Wake up. Wake up to the glory of God every morning. The second thing that we find in our text, they not only employed general revelation, they employed inquisitive learning. They saw the star and they had heard the stories. So they went to Jerusalem. They said, okay, we've got to find out where this Christ child is. We really don't know. This star, even though there was a sign in the heavens, it wasn't taking them anywhere. So they said, well, he's going to be born king of the Jews. So they went to, the, to the, where the temple was, and Herod's palace was right next to it. And they said, they inquired of Herod, and Herod inquired of the scribes. And they said, well, it's in Bethlehem. That's where the child is going to be born. They searched the scriptures further to find out what this revelation meant, what this star meant. You see, we need to do the same thing. We see God's power displayed all around us in creation. We need to get out the book and begin to study and see what it means to us. We need to be students of the word of God. Don't you find it incredible that these people who had just traveled perhaps a thousand miles to see this king and here were the scribes in Jerusalem who made a living out of studying God's word and they wouldn't even go five miles to where Bethlehem was. You see, study, we've got to be students of the scripture. We've got to be students of the word of God with a heart ready and open to hear it. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says, uh, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman who needs not be uh, ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm not going to speak specifically to our church today, but would it be safe to say that as a nation and as a culture, we've become illiterate? scripturally. I had a kind of a funny thing happen this week um, uh, that, that made me think about this. You know, back in the 50s and 60s, you watch almost any television show, and there was reference everywhere to things in Scripture that a lot of kids don't even know today in the church. Uh, Andy Griffith's show, I mean, anywhere. There was worship on Sunday. The Word of God was, was spoken of frequently. And now as exile has, has uh, kind of uh, filled the land around us, we don't see near as much of it. And I was made aware of that this week. I got a confession to make. Uh, the, Christmas Day was the first day that I had ever watched Charlie Bound Christmas, ever. Can you believe that? Yeah, my wife couldn't believe it either. <laughs> and that's why we watched it. <laughs> She said, you gotta watch Charlie Brown Christmas. She said, didn't you watch Charlie Brown Christmas growing up? I said, well, we never had a TV. And she said, but didn't you watch it with your kids? And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> so I watched Charlie Brown Christmas for the first time this week and there was a lot of awesome stuff with it. I loved it. And of course, the biggest part is when he drops, Charlie Brown, dro or uh, Linus drops his blanket when he's talking about the fear not, the angel said fear not. That's wonderful theological stuff. I uh, but you know what the line that I loved this week when he was talking about uh, the dust of the ancient uh, uh, civilization of Babylon and of King Solomon and even Nebuchadnezzar. And I was sitting there watching that and think, wow, Charlie Brown is smarter than a lot of our <laughs> Sunday school kids. Not a third, not a third. <laughs> but seriously, we, we have become illiterate and we need to get to back to the book. <laughs> Just as the wise men continued to learn, my mom's always told me, if you quit learning, you die. And if we quit studying the book, we will die. This word is a lamp to our feet and a guide to our path. So open it up, 
Study it. Every day, wake up to the glory of God that's revealed in here, okay? And the third thing that we see from the wise men, the third lens of discovery, after they received general revelation, after they did inquisitive learning, we find divine direction in verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. I get all excited about this because the star that had just been a sign up in the heaven all of a sudden became a Holy Ghost GPS for the wise men. It says that the star started to move and it came and it stopped right over the place where Jesus was. You see, that's the thing that the scribes didn't have. They had studied the word. They knew it was going to be in Bethlehem. But the wise men were open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as that day star shone in their heart and their lives and led them right to the spot where they could worship the Messiah. And might I suggest to you today that we as a church need to have our hearts open again to the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that this word doesn't, isn't just an academic book, but so that our eyes are opened to the Holy Spirit in our lives. So here's, here's what my challenge for you is today. Every morning when you wake up, can we open our eyes to the general revelation around us? Can we dig into the word of God and do some inquisitive learning? And third, can we pray and open our hearts for the guidance and the overwhelming infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives that leads us. Listen to what John says, some of Jesus' last words to his disciples before he went to the cross. He said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. We as the people of God can be on the cutting edge of exile when we realize that the Holy Spirit still speaks, that we would be filled to overflowing with his Holy Spirit every morning. I'm going to wrap things up here today by going back to our uh, to our little alarm clocks. This one here represents, and I know this is a little bit crude, but try to follow me with it. This, this obnoxious, very loud alarm clock can represent the heavens all around us, the glory of God that is everywhere. It's very obvious <laughs> if we'll open our eyes to see it. So let's wake up every morning to this, all right? To the glory of God in creation. This represents... The inquisitive learning, the amount of technology and study that has gone into making these things is incredible. Like I said earlier, it'll wake you up, it'll tell you where to go, it'll tell you how many steps it took to get there. But can I take this? There's something the Lord convicted me of this week. Several years ago when the computer revolution started, I found myself, as a kid growing up, I was, I, I, I was a emphatic student of scripture. I, I couldn't get enough of it. All through my growing up years, I just devoured God's word and, 
And then when I got in my 40s, I got busy with a, uh, my 30s and 40s, I got busy with family, I got busy with an occupation that I loved, and I found myself getting up every morning and hitting the computer to look what the markets and the weather was doing to make my decisions for the day. And one time God stopped me and he said, hey, Phil, how about a little time with me first? And this week I was thinking about that again, and you know what? It's even gotten worse today because you know what the first thing is we grab when we get up in the morning? Our alarm clock. We shut it off, we grab it, and before our feet even hit the floor, I wonder what they posted on Facebook last night. Am I telling the truth? And before we've ever had a chance to open our eyes to God's glory all around us or to, or to God's glory revealed in his word, before we have a chance to listen to the Holy Spirit, we're seeing what everybody all over the world says about nothing. How about if we had mute this thing or whatever you got to do to it, set it to the side and open our eyes, be inquisitive learners of God's word, and then this alarm clock represents the Holy Spirit because those other two, they wake you up, but this will get you going. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, he'll light a fire under us. He'll get us on the move. He will empower us to change our culture. Yes, we live in exile, but no, we don't have to succumb to it. Yes, we live in exile, but the Holy Spirit within us can put a radiance on our faces that will make the world take notice. So this morning, may I challenge you and me to wake up to the glory of God. I would like to ask Mike if you would come and he's gonna lead us in a song about glory in the highest. It's what the angels sang that day.